What's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia? Getting back to the basics of teaching children, not teaching them critical race theory. And, uh, and, and what is critical race theory? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it that much. But it's something that I don't, what little bit that I know I don't care for. And, and what have you heard that, that you don't, well, that you I'm don't not, like? Well, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't have that much knowledge on it. But okay. it's something that I'm not, that I don't care for. CNN is projecting that Republican Glenn Youngkin has been elected governor of Virginia, defeating Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Youngkin pulling off a critical victory for his party in the highest stakes election of the night. This is the first time Republicans have won an election for Virginia's top office in 12 years. All righty, Virginia, we won this thing! Mm, that's what they tell us. Oh, boy. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, as well as your favorite podcast site, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I suspect, as you may have heard by now, since it was, by and large, the only thing that the media seemed to be covering, at least on cable TV on Tuesday night, Democrats had a rough go of it, it seems, in both Virginia, as you heard there at the top of the show, and in New Jersey, in the off-year 2021 elections, even if Virginia, I believe, will prove to have been a much tougher night for Democrats than New Jersey when all is said and done. I'll get to New Jersey in a moment. But in Virginia, Trump-endorsed Republican businessman and first-time candidate Glenn Youngkin appears to have defeated the Commonwealth's former Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe by a little bit more than two points or so. 
That according to the latest available, if unconfirmed, numbers as we go to air today in a state where Joe Biden soundly defeated Donald Trump last November by about 10 points. So what happened there? What happened there, Desi Doyen? <laughs> I have Any a feeling idea? we're going to find out. We are, in fact. We will discuss. Are you doing OK, by the way? I know it was a long night. It was. Did you get any rest at all? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, anyway, yes, you are right, Des. We will discuss that and much more about Tuesday's elections uh, momentarily with my friend, the great John Nichols of the nation. Uh, moreover, if the uh, current counting trends hold, it looks like Republicans are also going to take back the majority in the Virginia House of Delegates mm. after Democrats took over both the House and the Senate and the governor's mansion in Virginia for the first time in a generation just two years ago. And they passed a whole bunch of very progressive policies for the people of Virginia. And this is the thanks they get, I suppose. Now, it's it's possible control may end up as a 50-50 in the Virginia House, for which I understand there are actually no provisions for how to manage a tied House. That's but, brilliant. Yeah, I know. They're always thinking ahead. But right now, anyway, it looks like you'll be happy to know, Des, Republicans are on track to reverse the uh, Democrats' five-seat majority, turn that into a one-seat Republican majority for themselves. I know you're not really happy, but at least it won't be a tie that they'll have to figure out what to do. Uh, so what happened there? Well, even after all of those progressive, popular progressive policies were enacted at the state level. Well, that's another good question for John Nichols in a moment. In New Jersey, however, where I expect the incumbent Democratic governor, Phil Murphy, will actually ultimately prevail and defy history there by winning a second term over his Republican challenger, Jack Chitterelli, in a state that has not allowed a Democrat to win a second term as governor since the 1970s. No matter what the results turn out to be, I suspect there is going to be a challenge by whichever candidate loses. Uh, given how close the race has been, at least since the polls closed on Tuesday night. As we go to air, the Democrat Phil Murphy is currently leading Republican uh, Chitterelli by a bit more than 15,000 votes out of about 2.4 million tallied so far. That's with about 89 percent of the vote of unofficially counted. Uh, that could widen for Murphy or even flip to Chitterelli before all is said and done. But I would suspect no matter who is announced the winner in New Jersey, that it has been close enough over the past uh, 12 or 24 hours or so that the loser will likely and appropriately challenge in some way. Jersey election officials were exceedingly slow on Tuesday night getting results out for reasons unknown, particularly in the heavily Democratic areas where there were tons of vote-by-mail ballots, which take longer to count because they have to be verified and opened one by one. That put Chitterelli in the apparent lead for much of the night, even though it was clear that there was a whole lot of votes, uh, particularly Democratic votes, still to be counted and reported. So, uh, nonetheless, before the uh, flip to Phil Murphy happened, Chitterelli went out to talk to supporters on Tuesday night and had this to say. I wanted to come out here tonight because I had prepared one hell of a victory speech. I wanted to come out here tonight and tell you that we had won. 
I'm here, but I'm here to tell you that we're winning. We're winning. We want every legal vote counted. And you all know the way the VBMs work and the provisionals work. We've got to have time to make sure that every legal vote is counted. And I'm confident, I'm confident that when they are, I can stand before you and not say we're winning. I can stand before you and say we've won. Yeah, well, we will see about that. Every legal vote counted is, of course, Donald Trump code for trying to throw out as many ballots as we possibly can, no matter how thin the thread on whether they should be uh, thrown out or not might be. Exactly, because in reality, everybody wants all the legal votes to count. It's not like that's any kind of special thing. Right. Uh, Now, the VBMs he's talking about there, that's the uh, vote-by-mail ballots. Uh, You also may have heard him mention provisionals, which there may have been a lot of. And which may end up being very contentious, uh, given what we reported on this program yesterday, but which received stunningly little coverage by the national uh, media or even much of the state media on Tuesday. Uh, We covered it here on the show. I haven't really heard it covered elsewhere on Tuesday morning. As we cited, several different small media outlets were reporting in New Jersey on Tuesday the Internet-connected electronic poll books, which are used to sign in voters now, apparently across the entire state of New Jersey. They were recently installed there. Well, apparently they kept crashing, according to the reports, quote, across the entire state. When the Internet would go down, the systems wouldn't work, forcing voters to have to vote by hand on hand-marked paper ballots, provisional ballots, Uh, Because they couldn't sign into the poll books because apparently they don't have paper poll book backups in New Jersey. So at least where provisional ballots were available and where voters felt comfortable using them, there might have been a lot of provisional ballots cast in those hours on Tuesday morning. Apparently the e-poll books, which we have warned against for years and have advised over and over again, should be backed up with paper backups for exactly this eventuality, which, by the way, we've now seen it happen many times across the country, including out here in Los Angeles County. We've had to report on it on this program. Uh, Apparently, when there were Internet problems for whatever reason, the systems would simply crash and voters could not vote. Now, the few media reports I did see tended to downplay the issue, reporting it was all cleared up by 9 a.m., but that was... You know, after three hours of voting or three hours of what was supposed to be voting when the polls opened in New Jersey at 6 a.m. During the morning rush uh, before folks go to work, many of those voters may not have been able to vote at all on Tuesday morning in New Jersey or they did not want to vote on a provisional ballot because they've been misinformed about them being counted, that they don't get counted. In fact, they do get counted. Uh, Or, you know, they couldn't come back later to vote. As we noted from those media reports on uh, on Tuesday, voting machines were first reported as freezing and crashing in Middlesex County early on Election Day. That uh, report by InsiderNJ.com, though it later turned out that it wasn't the voting machines so much as the electronic poll books that were freezing and crashing. In South Plainfield, for example, in Middlesex County, according to 
MyCentralJersey.com, 13 of 15 polling districts were inoperable for several hours in the morning. South River Mayor John Krenzel in Middlesex County wrote on Facebook, quote, It is not only in South River, but throughout the state, he said. The county election boards are working on the problems. Insider NJ also reported that there were also significant malfunctioning issues in suburban Passaic County before later reporting, quote, It was actually happening statewide. Somerset County Clerk Steve Peter, uh, Steve Peter confirmed, quote, new electronic poll books are having issues. Everyone has electronic poll books today, Insider NJ reported, noting that uh, those were the ones causing the trouble, which clerks appeared to have under control by the 9 a.m. hour. But again, that was three hours in. Insider New Jersey ended up uh, updating the report later in the day, saying technical support tracked down and fixed the problem, crashing that was caused by poll books connected to the Internet, confirming that when the Internet would go down, the machines would crash. Now, three counties named there in those two different reports, Middlesex, Passaic and Somerset. So far, they are all going, uh, according to the results we have in, they're now all going for the Democrat uh, Phil Murphy, if narrowly in Passaic and Somerset. But the Republican turnout was much heavier at the polls, you know, for Republicans when Democrats preferred to vote by absentee mail. So this problem could and at least arguably, if, if you want to make a case out of it, could have affected Republican voters much more than Democrats, especially if it's true that it was happening as the report suggests, across the state for three hours on Tuesday morning. So I'm not trying to cause trouble here, but I am trying to give you a heads up as to what we may see develop in the days ahead, depending on the tallies uh, and how they wind up in New Jersey and how Chitterelli or even Murphy, if he's on the losing end here, decides to uh, play their cards. We'll keep an eye on it, as you may have already guessed. But I suspect it could become an issue for the MAGA mob if they end up losing in Jersey, but also for Democrats if they end up losing. It should be an issue, and it's exactly why we have been warning about these kinds of systems for so many years. Also in New Jersey, it just still happens to be one of the worst states in the country when it comes to 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Unlike Virginia which used to be among the worst. But now Virginia has finally transitioned to hand-marked paper ballots for all voters across the entire state. Back in Jersey, the majority of voters, at least at the polling place, use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Still, only about 13% of voters at the polls statewide vote on hand-marked paper ballots. The rest are various types of touchscreens, which uh, ultimately provide zero evidence of voter intent uh, after the election beyond the computer reflection of the voters' ballots, which is either accurate or inaccurate. No way to know after the polls have closed. This could also become a problem for Democrats if Murphy wins and Republicans decide to challenge what happened. And frankly, uh, especially given the e-poll books issue and the number of people that may have been prevented from voting on Tuesday morning between that and these unverifiable 
hundreds of thousands of unverifiable ballots, uh, well, I'd be surprised if they didn't make that an issue of some sort. So I wanted to give you a heads up on that for now, even as the numbers are still coming in from that race and from others. Of course, Democrats have been beside themselves since the polls closed, wondering where they went wrong, at least in these statewide races. In truth, if you dig below the national statewide headlines, progressives actually had a bunch of victories on Tuesday in local mayoral races and and in ballot initiatives. I don't think what happened on Tuesday was nearly as awful for Democrats as many are hand-wringing today, though it certainly should be a a red flag and a warning sign for them before 2022. I'll see if I have time to get to some of those uh, progressive victories. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back with longtime progressive champion and journalist John Nichols to help us make sense of some of this, to discuss some of the other races that received far less media coverage on Tuesday and all day Wednesday. We'll see what he thinks actually happened here. And if time, I'll try to run through a bunch of those uh, races where local progressives and progressive initiatives, if not necessarily statewide Democratic candidates, performed very well on Tuesday, even surprisingly well in uh, Tuesday's off-year elections. Lots to get to today. We'll get to as much as we possibly can right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Good question. Who will stop the rain? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, yes, it was a tough night for Democrats during the off-year elections on Tuesday as they appear to have lost the governor's race in Virginia with former Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe narrowly losing to the Trump-endorsed Republican Glenn Youngkin. And a uh, likelihood that Democrats, after gaining full control of both the legislature in the Commonwealth as well as the governor's mansion for the first time in a generation just two years ago, uh, may have now lost their majority in the House of Delegates as well, where it looks as though uh, they will either be tied 50-50 with Republicans there in the House of Delegates for uh, tied for majority control or even down by one to the Republicans there. McAuliffe's loss is uh, largely in line with recent history, where voters in the Commonwealth have long elected a governor from the other party than the one which was uh, just installed into the White House in the year prior. In New Jersey, meanwhile, the other statewide governor's race on the ballot on Tuesday, that one is still too close to call as we go to air. But while Democratic Governor Phil Murphy appears likely I think, to hang on for a second term, defying recent history in that no Democrat has won a second term for governor in the Garden State since 1977. 
but the contest against Republican John Cittarelli was and is much closer than Democrats had hoped. And, by the way, much closer than pre-election polling had suggested that it would be. But while Democrats struggled in statewide elections, they fared much better in local races and with ballot initiatives around the country, by and large, in many of the contests for mayor around the nation on Tuesday, even as the highest profile mayoral contest nationally, uh, at least the one that for some reason, received the most attention beyond the mayor's race in New York City. That was largely a foregone conclusion for Democratic uh, candidate Eric Mayer. But the one that got the most attention from the national media, for some reason, was the one in Buffalo, New York, where self-declared Democratic Socialist India Walton appears to have lost, with a lot of help from Republicans for the Democratic write-in candidate, that would be longtime Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown, who Walton had defeated uh, previously in the lower turnout Democratic primary earlier this year. But Democrats, in particular progressive Democrats, did well with mayoral victories in places like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Boston, Dearborn, Michigan, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they saw victories on ballot initiatives and school boards around the country where they managed to push back against the manufactured phony Republican hysteria over teaching critical race theory in public schools, which doesn't actually happen in almost any public schools. Still, it was the Fox News generated outrage over what they called CRT which almost certainly helped propel Glenn Youngkin to his apparent win as the next governor of Virginia. So a phony issue or not, it's one that Democrats are going to have to reckon with in some fashion between now and next year's critical midterm elections. Joining us now, as he has after many an election over the years, both good ones and bad, is our old friend, longtime journalist and progressive champion, John Nichols, Washington correspondent for The Nation, contributing writer for The Progressive, associate editor of Madison, Wisconsin's Capital Times, and the author of and co-author of many books on progressive politics, including Horsemen of the Trumpocalypse, a field guide to the most dangerous people in America. Oh, John Nichols, welcome back, my friend. And did one of those horsemen... Just ride into the old uh, Confederate capital of Virginia on Tuesday night. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see uh, whether Glenn Youngkin knows how to ride a horse. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, he he presented himself as a suburban dad. Uh huh. I mean, that was that was his uh, kind of campaign mode: nice uh -huh. sweaters and sort of a you know kind of gawky kind of guy. Uh huh. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, he is. Uh, very right wing. Yep. That every indication is that that um, he's good at what he does. You know, he's kind of a, a very savvy, though a new candidate, very mm -hmm. savvy, a political communicator, a political player, yep. and so his his top line image was you know relatively genteel, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it worked very very well in Virginia, particularly suburban areas. Yeah, I was impressed actually with his uh, with his victory speech. He came across like a a smart, good, normal, likable guy, 
And that may be a very dangerous thing in the Republican Party. I want to, we'll get back to him in a second. But, uh, John, I've got a, a, a number of specific questions for you here. But there's been a lot of national attention since the close of polls on Tuesday night. Pretty much all of the attention, if you watched returns coming on, in on uh, cable TV, on the statewide Democratic races where, you know, no sugarcoating it, Democrats struggled. But, you know, before we get into that and those reasons, which have been, you know, covered sort of ad nauseum over the past 24 hours or so, since there there were actually quite a few progressive victories. And yes, some losses around the country. But what were the races that caught your eye on Tuesday that may not have received the amount of national attention that uh, maybe they should have? No, a lot of them, as always. I mm-hmm. mean, our our media struggles to cover more than one race at a time. Yes. You know, and so Virginia has been, you know, heavily overcovered, uh, New Jersey undercovered. Mm-hmm. And New Jersey was a close race. But when all the votes from Bergen and Essex counties and Camden get in, my suspicion is that, uh, you know, Phil Murphy is going to win by a reasonably comfortable margin. In fact, I dare say he might even end up with a higher percentage of the vote than Glenn Youngkin has mm. down in, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so we should pay some attention to New Jersey and recognize that if Bill Murphy is reelected, if, if I'm right about this, mm-hmm. he will uh, be the first Democrat to be reelected as governor of New Jersey since 1977. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, New Jersey is this big Democratic state. I remind people that four years ago, Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's, you know, what, what Murphy has achieved is, is not to be underestimated, and he's done so as a reasonably progressive governor. Guy's done a lot of criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. been pretty good on the environment, not perfect, but pretty good, been very good on worker rights, uh, legalized marijuana, you know, you run down the list. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's one that, that you know, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on that and see if, if I'm right, that he actually pulls off not a big win, but a credible win, mm-hmm. which has some historic significance. The other place I would uh, obviously direct people to, and I think there's been a little attention to this, but not nearly enough, mm-hmm. is Boston, where yeah. Michelle Wu uh, mm-hmm. has been elected as mayor by a landslide. And Michelle Wu is a Green New Deal, economic and social and racial justice progressive who is very close to Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. who ran a, a, a genuine multiracial, multi-ethnic campaign, and prevailed. Mm-hmm. And, and I know people want to look at other places and say, oh, well, you know, the centrist one there or something like that. In Boston, the progressive won, and she won big. And Boston is a, a city that has often given us leaders and, and given us signals as regards the direction of the country. The last place I'll point to... Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Please, go ahead. Finish. La- last place I'll point to is Austin, Texas. No, no. Austin's a pretty liberal town. Mm-hmm. But they, they had a referendum on the ballot down there yep. to uh, very much increase spending on police. And, uh, you know, we're, the national narrative that we're being told mm-hmm. is that, you know, boy, there's a real backlash against uh, you know, efforts to reform policing and real concern about crime. And so, you know, Minneapolis rejected a, a reform of their policing mm-hmm. uh, or their police department. So, you know, of course, it would, you know, that's what you'd see down in, in Austin where they were simply asking for an increase in police funding. Well, they ran a real grassroots campaign down there, and they beat it 68 to 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a landslide uh, for sensible approaches to policing. 
Yeah, and they weren't the only place. There were, you know, again, as usual, that, uh, you know, oh, Minneapolis rejects rejects uh, reform, therefore, you know, it's it's toxic. Uh, I heard, you know, Brian uh, Williams on MSNBC, you know, mm-hmm. saying that it's defund the police is the most toxic phrase that has ever been uttered in a political campaign in the United States of America before he then went on to talk to a bunch of, you know, Republicans about what Democrats did wrong. But be a little careful with that line. Yeah. Uh, Be careful with it. But, you know, the notion that this is what has, uh, you know, the idea these Republicans would parade on there and say, oh, yes, Democrats must stop their woke politics. They must change everything to become more like Republicans or something. Anyway, to sort of. Somewhat add maybe to that argument, there were, in fact, a lot of progressive policies enacted under Democrats over the past two years at the state level in Virginia. Uh, They took over both the state legislature and the governorship. Joe Biden won the state by 10 points last November. But Democrats seem to have lost on Tuesday in that governor's race. Yes, history was against them. But it was also against Democrats in New Jersey, where they appear to have eked out a victory for governor. So I'm wondering... You know, I I know you argued at The Nation today that Democrats failed to use their power to pass a big, bold agenda, at least so far in D.C. But, you know, in both Virginia and New Jersey, the legislatures and the Democratic governors did enact a bunch of progressive policies in both of those states on guns, death penalty, abortion rights, free college in New Jersey, uh, you know, community college. Can it be said that those policies... Uh, do not seem to have the positive effect on the electorate that progressives might have hoped they would have uh, after enacting such policies? That's a very good question, and I think a very credible uh, question. Uh, look, I think that that uh, either political party, when it's in power, mm-hmm. rises and falls on not just not a laundry list of policies, or mm-hmm. a laundry list of positions, mm-hmm. but rather on a mood, you know, in a sense that mm-hmm. that you are achieving something big, mm-hmm. that you are that you're making things happen, you're making government happen mm-hmm. for the people, and and I think that in New Jersey, Phil Murphy, who I've interviewed, uh, I, I think had a had a better sense of that, mm-hmm. and and really did try to build his campaign around it. But the fact of the matter is, if he ends up winning. You know, if, if as the votes are all counted, he mm-hmm. ends up winning by a, a reasonably credible margin. Maybe not, not again, not a landslide, but but a, by a credible margin. Then there's going to be some argument that he was right, right? That mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in a state that just four years ago had a Republican governor that hasn't reelected a Democrat for a long time. Yes, but but, but even if he does, it seems like it's going to be closer, much closer than the pre-election polls had suggested it would be, or even that. You know, progressives might think that it should be given these otherwise popular policies that they that they enacted in in both of those states. But there's the, there, therein lies the challenge with that mood thing I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, that sense of and and you know, it's Brad, and you know this because it's such a it's it's a subtlety of the times in which we live. Uh, it used to be that people got their politics from a local paper, mm-hmm. from local radio. You know what I mean? It was yep. very is rooted in their place. Mm-hmm. Now, where do people get their politics, right? They get it from 
cable TV mm-hmm. and from social media, mm-hmm. and it's often delinked from from the local. Mm-hmm. And so, when you have governors in states doing good big things, legislatures doing good big things, I think that counts for something. I, I, I don't, you know, you can't address mm-hmm. me. It's very important in people's lives. In politics, it it doesn't always work if it's delinked from the national narrative. And that's one of the problems that I I think Democrats have long had, that, you know, Democrats are generally much better at governing than they are at running for elections and selling their policies, even when they do have a good record in both of these states we're talking about. Why do Democrats seem to have such a difficult time selling popular policies, especially when, you know, they have passed those policies, enacted them and should be able to take credit for them? That's right. You know, you, you would think that that would be the case. But, uh, again, I think the change in the media, mm-hmm. uh, uh, look, let me tell you, I've said this a uh, hundred times, I'll keep saying it. Uh, I think that Donald Trump is one of the most damaged and dysfunctional people, you know, ever to come along. Mm-hmm. He's a mess of a guy. Mm-hmm. But the one thing uh, he figured out is that in this era, you can create your own platforms and you can communicate to people directly. And frankly, he's he mastered social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, with again, like him or not, that's that's a reality. And I don't think Democrat. I think Democrats have been far slower uh, to come to an understanding of how to use social media. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it, and this this is good, but it hasn't actually benefited them. Ethical about it, you know, they're like, well, we, we shouldn't lie, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that. That uh, that is something the Republicans have been much more comfortable that with. Somewhat ties their hands, doesn't it? And by the way, yeah. I, I would also add, uh, you know, this is not a new problem for Democrats. This goes back decades. I've been yelling and screaming about, you know, the fact that there are oh, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen of us on the public airwaves on the radio who are not parroting the right with a far right wing line over our public airwaves as people are driving to and from work every day just getting the message especially in light of all of these lies getting out the you know the facts and the reality is is no easy feat for folks who are not on the uh, on the right wing side but one of the reasons I'm asking about all this John is now don't take this to the bank because all of the votes are not in I'm not an expert in this area I haven't seen any analyses of it but watching the returns coming in on Tuesday night it felt Uh, Like what I was seeing was uh, not a matter of Republican voters turning out in droves in states like Virginia and New Jersey, but of Democratic voters not turning out in numbers that the party might have hoped for, in numbers that the party saw last November. It seemed like it wasn't uh, Republicans turning out. It was Democrats not coming out. What explains that? No, it's an enthusiasm gap. And um, and. Why is there an enthusiasm gap? Well, I, I think there's an element of exhaustion. Mm. And, and you, know, you, had, you had four years there mm-hmm. where everything was about Trump. It was 24-7. Yep. It was, you know, and, and you didn't know what, you know this, Brad. You'd wake up in the morning. You had no idea what sort of, you know, crazy thing had happened uh, overnight. Yes, I do know that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that the, for the Democrats, the victory of Biden, and the fact that they actually took the Senate uh, was a, you know, it, it did sort of you breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, now I, can, now I can go to the movies, right? I can mm-hmm. do other things. 
and and there's some truth in that. And I, I get I don't want to deny people that, but I think what happened at the top level was that you brought in a class of people, uh, Pelosi, Schumer, and uh, Biden, mm-hmm. and some others around them, who are very comfortable with that reality. They're like, yeah, we'll take it from here. Mm. You know, we're we're we know our way around Washington. Yeah. We've got a combined Washington experience of three thousand years, and you know we're just you know we don't really need you. Yeah, I mean, you guys go out and yeah, go to the movies, go to the farmers market, do whatever mm-hmm. you're going to do. And the end result is that they didn't do what you know was Franklin Roosevelt's genius. It's a fascinating thing about Franklin Roosevelt. I've done a lot of studies of him over the years. Why was he so successful? Why did he win four presidential elections in a row? Why did he win his midterms and actually, in some midterms, expand his power? Well, the answer is that he never stopped doing two things. Number one, delivering on his promises. Mm-hmm. The New Deal was a, not just a deliverance on a promise, but an extension of it. Mm-hmm. And number two, blaming the bad guys, blaming the other side. He was talking about Herbert Hoover in 1944, 12 years after Hoover was beaten. Mm. You know, he, he would keep coming back to it. There's this threat. You need to understand it. Mm. This is, he would talk about Wall Street and say, I welcome their hatred. And, you know? he, and he would do it, he would, his fireside chats every yeah. week when he stayed in touch, if you will, with the American people. Not unlike Donald Trump stayed in touch with the American people via his Twitter feed. He was always talking to them. He was always, yep. uh, FDR yep. in this case, was yep. always in communication with them. And I, and I think you're right because, you know, Pelosi, Schumer, uh, Biden, obviously none of them the most progressive uh, uh, people in the world. Yet they have solidly gotten behind some very progressive policies. Yeah. So that's not the problem, but you're right. They sort of said, we'll take care of it. We'll let you know when we're done instead of getting out there and selling it. On the other side, John, I, I played this clip at the top of the show, but I want to play it again here for you because I think this is far more pervasive than might be appreciated among those who are not inside that wingnut Republican media bubble we were talking about a minute ago. Uh, this is short. It's an exchange between a reporter and a, uh, a, a voter in Virginia, I think, this week. What's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia? Getting back to the basics of teaching children, not teaching them critical race theory. And, uh, and, and what is critical race theory? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it that much, but it's something that I don't, what little bit that I know I don't care for. And, and what have you heard that, that you don't like? Well, I'm, don't not, like? I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have that much knowledge on it, but okay. it's something that I'm not, that I don't care for. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, uh, points for honesty. He doesn't know anything about it, but he's still against it. Uh, you know, it seems to me, talking about hands being tied, Republicans are now running on pretty much 100% imaginary issues, John Nichols, whether yeah. it's critical race theory, stolen elections. But Republicans, voters, are buying it, John, in Virginia, in oh, yeah. Jersey, I suspect in states all over the country. That sounds like bad news for 2020, and I have no idea how Democrats... Yeah. Uh, 2022, and I have no idea how Democrats should be countering that. Uh, yeah, well, okay, so you, you really got to the heart of the matter here. And, um, and I, I did a little thing yesterday that, that sometimes helps in the, in the field I work in. It's called reporting. <laughs> I see. Um, and I actually went to a town... Uh, Mequon, Wisconsin, where uh-huh. there was an effort to recall the school board. Right. 
on critical race theory. Yes, right. right. So is it the issue, right? Yeah. The one that nobody knows about, but but everybody's concerned about. Yeah. And and so I went over there because I was very interested. Mequon, Wisconsin, is a fifty-fifty town. You know, it's a it's a town that was historically Republican. It's become a little more Democratic. Uh, Biden did okay there, but he didn't win it big mm-hmm. um, or anything like that. So it was sort of like like a almost perfect embodiment of of this fight mm-hmm. and, and and where it's playing out in these suburban areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, for pro uh, recall or for, for people who are critical of critical race theory, mm-hmm. uh, we're running against four incumbents. And uh, the answer of the incumbents and their supporters was not to shy away from this issue, mm-hmm. not to ridicule the other side per se, but to go deep into it, to say, yep, let's talk about this. Let's, talk, let's speak exactly about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Republican strategies to lie to people, to fool people, to make them worried about things, and then let's talk about what they're focused on here. Let's talk about critical race theory, what it is. Let's talk about educating people about the past of this country, things that, pe- that young people should know about. Let's talk about the role of education. They went deep into it. They had literature. They had uh, letters from former mayors uh, and current mayors. You know, I mean, they really they ran a, 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 a comprehensive campaign. Now, they were up against right-wingers who were spending tens of thousands of dollars buying radio ads, uh, bringing in gubernatorial candidates. It was a really high-stakes situation. Well, last night, uh, the incumbents, the people who were targeted for recall by the right-wingers, the ones who, if we believe the national narrative, should have gone down, should have been beaten, mm-hmm. they won with 60% of the vote. So the, the, victory. The, the theory there, then, uh, not shy away from these ideas, but confront them and say... What are you talking about? This is what we do. What are your mm-hmm. concerns about it? Going straight at it rather than uh, pretending it doesn't exist. I mean, it doesn't exist. Uh, it's yeah. not like it's a big, you know. Uh, it's not a big threat. Right. Um, but uh, not ignoring it, going uh, at their. I mean, it it's kind of puts you on their playing field when you well, do that. There's a group called People's Action, uh, which has been very active around the United States, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of grassroots folks. They do something called deep canvassing. Now, mostly when political groups canvass, they go to some. They go to the doors of people who are on their side, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They just want to say, "Are you going to go vote? Right. You know, can I get you out to vote?" Right. Um, what People's Action does with this thing called deep canvassing is that they go to all the doors. You know, everybody's a voter. They go to the door. They go to people who disagree with them, mm-hmm. and they will engage in twenty-minute, thirty-minute conversations, mm. not combative conversations, right. but. Why do you believe this? How can we? Can I give you some more information, etc.? And they argue, People's Action argues, that they've had a lot of success with this. Hmm. Now, what happened up in Mequon uh, was not a classic People's Action deep canvassing model, mm-hmm. but it, it had elements of that, and they they. For lack of a better term, they talk this thing to death. It's, you know, in some sense, it's maddening because Democrats have to spend so much time on the other guy's turf, you know, uh, when when they put it, you know, photo ID. Well, don't complain about that. Go help people get photo IDs. Okay, fine. That means you're spending time doing that instead of. Uh, you know, campaigning or, right. you know, spend or, time or raising your own issues. Right? Correct. Yeah. Or, you know, talking about, again, a fake Fox News issue 
cons- uh, uh, critical race theory instead of talking about your own issues. Would passage of, and I've just got a few minutes here, but I want to jam in a few, uh, three quick questions here if I can, John Nichols. Uh, would passage of the infrastructure and the uh, uh, Build Back Better bills, no matter what they might have ultimately had in them at this point, would that have made a difference on Tuesday? Yep. Terry McAuliffe would have won. What effect are... I mean, that's a pretty blunt statement, yeah. I, would, I acknowledge, but I, I, I just think it is, in fact, true. Uh, what effect are Tuesday's elections now going to have on the fate of that bill uh, in Congress? Is this going to light a fire under them to get it done, or is it going to provide more ammo for the obstructionists like uh, Manchin and Cinema to continue obstructing that, ob- uh, that agenda? Well, it's a really tough situation, right, because they didn't do it right at the beginning. They didn't... Uh, you know, kind of get their ducks in order, and and if they had weaknesses or vulnerable space, go out and campaign in an aggressive and bold way to teach people about what the problem. Is. They what being the address. they being the Democrats. the Democrats. Okay. Yeah, they didn't do they didn't do the baseline work. So now you're trying to clean up a mess. Right. Right. That's difficult. But yeah, they've got to do it. There's simply no question, and they've got to do it without burdening off so much of the plan that people don't notice it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so. It's a challenging situation, but I can tell you this. I don't think there's any question. When Joe Biden got on that plane to go to Europe, mm-hmm. I was glad he was going. It was important. He was going there to talk about climate. Mm-hmm. He was going there to meet with the Pope. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, these things matter. I, mm-hmm. I totally respect that. But I can't imagine a more devastating thing for um, somebody, for the Democrats in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Because here, you know, Biden said, oh, we got a framework. Everything's great. Let's celebrate. And then within... 20 minutes or so, people are saying, well, we're not actually, we don't actually have anything. Here. Right. And it's terrible. It's, 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 it's just, this is dysfunctional governance. Yeah. It doesn't look good. It doesn't, it doesn't have good practical playoffs. And so uh, at the end of the day, and it's what I wrote about today, yep. uh, Democrats have to recognize that not everybody is, you know, Brad or John, Right political geeks, Thank staying God. up late, yeah. walk, I know, saving grace for humanity. Yeah. But most people, they get, they get a quick download of information, and they may be very smart, they may be very engaged, but they just don't have the time, maybe the energy. And so the, the simple circumstance is that if you've got power, and you've come into that power with a set of promises, if you don't deliver on those promises, yeah. you're going to suffer two results. One is uh, some portion of people are going to say, well, eh, I guess politics doesn't matter. We elected these guys, things don't seem to be happening. And two, uh, some folks will actually look at the other side. The results of the 2021 off-year elections tell us that this is a very real prospect for 2022. Not a certainty, right. but a prospect. And if Democrats don't pass something big with Build Back Better, no matter what it takes, no matter how much work and struggle and negotiation and whatever, I, I do think they run a, a much greater risk in 2022 than even I had imagined before. I will point folks to your article, of course, at thenation.com, headlined, Democrats can't fail to govern and expect to win, and share just this final thought John, I'd like your comment. My my contention, essentially, is that, you know, while Tuesday certainly provided a boost for 
Republican morale. Uh, the, the, the 2022 playbook, I believe, is actually nowhere near written. It's a long time away. As much as Democrats are certainly feeling pain today, you know, and, and, and that everything rides on what happens, in fact, between now and then, including, by the way, GOP gerrymandering of the House. And if Democrats have the guts to do what I think they should do, as painful as it is for me to support as a longtime democracy advocate, I think Democrats should partisan gerrymander the hell out of the states where they control the process in order to try and save democracy itself in advance of uh, 22 and, and what the GOP congressional majorities will almost certainly do this time around to try and steal the presidency in uh, in 2024, but that it's a long way off and that that book has not been written. And for folks who are, you know, concerned about what happened on Tuesday night, fine. I think there is a whole lot that can and will happen between now and 22 that will actually determine what happens next year. Well, look, I'm a I'm a Joe Strummer fan. And uh, Joe Strummer from The Clash. And, of mm-hmm. course, his great line was, the future is unwritten. And that's a big deal. That's, a, that's something that we always have to understand. We run the risk of, you know, getting ourselves so locked into a mentality uh, that we, we, you know, believe that some things become difficult. And I'll just quickly say that I think that actually became a factor in Virginia this year. There was so much talk about Terry McAuliffe being in trouble mm-hmm. that I think it actually, it actually started to get a grip on Democrats. Mm. And that instead of the California model, where he said, oh, Gavin Newsom's in trouble, and people ultimately rallied, and mm-hmm. it worked out. In, in Virginia, I think they became dispirited. And uh, there is something real that goes with a sense of progress, of energy, of you know, a campaign that is, is hitting its mark and, and meaning something. And so why did that happen? And my argument is, I don't want to be too tough on Terry McAuliffe, but it's just the reality. He's a retread. He's somebody who was governor, who's trying to come back. And I think that one part of this for Democrats is to look for, identify, and nominate dynamic, yep. young, vibrant candidates who can really excite people, who people want to go out to a rally and see. Mm-hmm. And especially at a time when people are looking for new faces, I, I think that in hindsight, the Republicans or Democrats made a mistake. They didn't nominate somebody yep. uh, who I think had the dynamism that they needed in this race. Look to the Michelle Wu model in, uh, exactly. in Boston. John Nichols is, of course, the Washington correspondent for The Nation, contributor at The Progressive, associate editor at Wisconsin's Capital Times, author of many books. You can find him and his latest work, as always, at thenation.com and on the Twitters at Nichols Uprising. As the uprising continues, John Nichols, always great speaking with you, my friend, uh, after elections, good or bad, and I look forward to doing it in the future. I look forward to it as well, my friend. Thank you, John. Take care, brother. Okay, uh, quick break here, and we'll come back with with some of those new faces, actually, that John was talking about, (laughs) because there was a lot of progressive victories um, that just didn't seem to make their way onto cable TV for the past 24 hours. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. 
some things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse When you're chewing on life's gristle That grumble, give a whistle And this'll help things turn out for the best And always look on the bright side of life Always back. on the side. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, look on the bright side of life. Uh, by the way, as we went uh, over the break there, guess what? News from AP breaking. They are calling the race for Phil Murphy as governor in New Jersey over Republican Jack Chitterelli. AP is calling it. New York Times is now calling it. It looks like uh, Murphy is up by about 20,000 votes out of, mm, let's call it 2.4 million cast, with 90% of the votes counted and everything else coming in is probably, I guess they believe, going to be leaning towards, uh, towards the Democrats. They are comfortable enough to call that race now for Phil Murphy after saying it was too close to call. And now it is not. We will see if uh, what Jack Chitterelli has to say about that and if he's going to uh, challenge it. I would be frankly surprised if he did not. Uh, as mentioned, there were a bunch of progressive victories across the country on Tuesday that did not get nearly the attention that the Democrats' statewide problems in Virginia and maybe in New Jersey received. So let me quickly fly through a bunch of them since you probably have not heard about many of these. Since the media seems to prefer to focus on Democratic failures rather than progressive victories, <laughs> it seems to me, for some yep. reason. John mentioned some of these, including 36-year-old progressive city councilor Michelle Wu becoming the first woman and first Asian-American to become mayor of Boston. In other words, the first non-white man elected mayor of Boston in its 400-year history. Wow. Seems noteworthy. Ed Ganey will become the first black mayor of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, defeating former police officer Tony Marino. After, you know, a bunch of folks are on TV all night saying, well, the people, the voters were against this move against police or something. Well, no, police officer was defeated by a black man in Pittsburgh for the first time ever. Abdullah Hamoud, a progressive Democrat, will be Dearborn, Michigan's next mayor. She will be the first Arab-American mayor of the U.S. city with the largest share of the Arab population. Albuquerque's Democratic Mayor Keller was facing a tough-on-crime challenge by the county's uh, sheriff. Keller appears to have won by a large margin in Albuquerque. Justin Bibb will be the new mayor of Cleveland, Ohio. He was the more progressive candidate in Tuesday's all-Democratic runoff. He was endorsed by Bernie Sanders' uh, Our Revolution and Senator Sherrod Brown in Ohio. Cleveland voters adopted Issue 24, which is meant to strengthen police oversight and civilian control. The police leadership there had fought that initiative. Aftab Puraval becomes Cincinnati's first Asian-American mayor. It was a historic night in Durham, North Carolina. Elaine O'Neill, a former interim dean of uh, North Carolina Central University Law School, will become the first, the city's first black woman mayor. 
And uh, John mentioned while voters voted against replacing the police department with the Department of Public Safety in Minneapolis following the uh, movement that developed that developed after the police murder of George Floyd uh, in Austin, Texas, as John noted, an increase to police funding was soundly voted down, but also in Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, home of our great affiliate AM 950. The uh, Twin Cities each passed an initiative on rent control. St. Paul's was stronger. It institutes a limit of 3% increases on rent. Minneapolis's prop authorizes city officials to enable rent control. So it doesn't directly do so, but that is now in the offing in Minneapolis. Portland, Maine rejected an initiative to limit homeless shelters. Uh, let's see. There's a lot of in addition to school boards in Wisconsin, as John noted, slates of school board candidates in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Connecticut, uh, who all ran on the phony critical race theory panic and COVID-19 restrictions. They all lost. Shahana Hanif made history as the first Muslim woman to be elected to New York City Council. She's also the first person of South Asian descent to be elected to the council in New York City. Alvin Bragg is the first black man to lead the Manhattan DA's office. He will take over for the departing Cyrus Vance Jr., which means he will also take over the prosecution of the Trump organization. There were a few more, including some of those uh, statewide initiatives in New York that we talked about last week. We will have to pick that up, however, <laughs> on our next thrilling broadcast. Until I hope you'll be there with us. You know, that was just some of the stuff that I was able to find and cover, uh, hoping that the mainstream corporate media, their na- the national media with their much smaller budgets than we have here at <laughs> Bradblog World News Headquarters, Hopefully they'll be able to find some time to notice as well, even as we'll likely be told for the next, I don't know, 12 months or so how unpopular progressive ideas are and how important it is that Democrats start acting more like Republicans if they want to hang on to control of the U.S. House and Senate next year. Just a guess. I've been around the block once or <laughs> twice. All right, we got to get out. My thanks again to our guest, the nation's John Nichols, to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. We're one of the few progressives you'll find here. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. See you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. And always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the right side of life.